Our word for today is appropriately Christ. And you'll be reading about Christ uh, in your one word devotional books for this upcoming week uh, during the week of Christmas. And our text is Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, which I would like to read again as we begin. Luke 2, 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I wonder, and a lot of you are thinking about this since it is Christmas Eve and since tomorrow is a grand day of gift giving and gift getting. I wonder to you, what is your favorite gift of all time? What is the best gift you have ever received? I think about a preacher that I know. He had a man in his congregation every Christmas season He would say to this preacher, I want you to go to the men's dress shop, suit shop of your choice, and I want you to pick out a brand new suit, a dress shirt, a tie, socks, shoes, the whole outfit. I want you to go and buy all that stuff. It's on me. Every Christmas season, he would say that to this preacher. Hint, hint. Could I make it any more obvious? But that was, a, that was a wonderful gift. That was a wonderful gift for this preacher. It meant a lot to him. Very generous gift. Maybe the best gift that you ever received was a piece of jewelry that belonged to a loved one. A grandmother's engagement ring, for instance. Or maybe this piece of jewelry was, belonged to a loved one but was reconfigured by another loved one just to fit you. It was refashioned uh, with you in mind. What a special gift that that would be. Maybe uh, it's a pet. And I can say confidently, Santa will not be bringing any pets to our house tomorrow. I've had a talk with the big guy, and there will be none of those. But maybe for you, it's a special dog or a cat or a gerbil or a fish that meant a lot to you, and that was one of your favorite gifts. Or maybe it's a brand new car. We have a little joke in Lauren's family Seems like every Christmas, somebody will open up a package and her dad will say, it's the keys to a brand new car, and it never is. Why is it that car companies this time of year, they all have the same ads where somebody gives somebody in their family a car? Who actually does that? Does anybody really do that? But maybe for you, you received a car as a gift, and that meant a lot to you. Or maybe, maybe I'm thinking too big. Maybe it's something a lot smaller. In fact, maybe it's a gift that would seem insignificant to anybody but you. And the only value inherent to this gift is sentimental value. Anybody else, if they saw it, they would think that it belongs in the trash can. But to you, there's nothing more special. What's the best gift you've ever received? In our story from Luke chapter 2, this man Simeon, to whom we are introduced about whom we know very little, 
He's not mentioned before Luke chapter 2, and he's not mentioned after. All that we know about him is contained in just a few short verses in this chapter. But in his story, Simeon receives a gift, well, better than you've ever received. And a gift better than anything Santa's going to bring you tomorrow. Better than any piece of jewelry or, or, or gadget or toy. The gift that he receives is the ability to see in the flesh the Christ child. The Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit told him he would not see death before he got to see with his very own eyes the Lord's Christ. And this gift had been on his wish list for as long as anybody could remember. The Scriptures tell us that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And maybe as we glossed over that phrase in the reading, you wondered what that was. Well, this, was, this phrase means the hope that was not only shared by Simeon, but many Jews in this era. The hope that God would come in some powerful, tangible way in order to rescue and comfort His people. The air in the first century was thick with anticipation, with expectation, with the longing that God was going to act in a decisive way to bring rescue and hope to His people. In a phrase, the consolation of Israel. That is what Simeon longed for. And there were many Jews, as I said, who were waiting on this. Just a few verses later in verse 38 of the same chapter, we get a mention of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's another way of saying what we just said. This hope that God was going to come and bring salvation to His people. The redemption of Jerusalem. The consolation of Israel. And there's a lot wrapped up in this hope. This hope is heavy with a lot of ideas. Salvation. Forgiveness. Of sins. The rescue of the lost. And it's not. I don't know that we can... Imagine what it was like for the Jews in this era. I don't know if we can quite grasp the longing that Simeon and the others felt. And so we can't quite feel what Simeon must have felt when the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would live to see the one who would bring all of this about. The consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, the salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the rescue. The Holy Spirit says to Simeon, the one who will bring it all about, you will get to see with your own eyes. The agent of all of these wonderful blessings, you're not going to die before you get to see him. What a gift. What a gift that Simeon receives. One that he wanted. And so the Holy Spirit, we see in verse 27 of chapter 2, leads him into the temple complex. He is guided directly by the Spirit into the Jerusalem temple. And there he sees some parents, a mother and a father, who have arrived with a baby boy. And this little boy is only 40 days old, less than two months old. And they are there in Jerusalem to dedicate this boy, according to the law, to the Lord. All of the firstborn male children were to be especially dedicated to God. And they had also come as part of a purification ritual for 
the mother who had recently given birth. And so they had come uh, according to the law because they were faithful Jews, obedient to the law. And it was time for Mary to be, to be atoned by God, to be made clean after she had given birth. And let, let us not allow the irony of this to be lost on us. That Mary and her husband Joseph come into Jerusalem so that, she, so that her sins can be atoned for as she carries in her arms the one whose blood would atone for all the sins of humanity by his death. Isn't that an extraordinary scene? As she carries the Christ child along with her husband Joseph into the city of Jerusalem in order to faithfully follow the law. And when they're in the temple, Simeon is in the temple, and these two are on a collision course. And we know that this baby, less than two months old, 40 days old, this is no ordinary baby. We know that. His parents knew that. They had experienced marvelous things surrounding his birth. And if we know anything about the first few chapters of Matthew and Luke, we know that this is no ordinary child, that this was a child foretold by angels, announced by the heavenly host, sought out by shepherds, visited by wise men. But none of the others gathered in the temple, or most of the others, wouldn't have known this about this baby. But Mary and Joseph do. We do, because we know the story, and Simeon, by the guidance of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit, knows that this young boy is not just a baby born to poor parents. We know that they're poor because when they come, they have to offer, they offer a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons to the priest. They were supposed to offer a lamb. And the pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons, that is a provision for those who were less well-off, who had fewer resources. And that's what Mary and Joseph have to give. The parents of the Christ, destitute. And they bring this boy, the son of a carpenter, born in a little village called Bethlehem, into the temple. And they run into this old man, whose name is Simeon. And he takes the boy from them. And what do you suppose they're thinking? In this moment, as he takes the boy, as he's holding the boy in his arms, and I want you to imagine this scene that is playing out for us at the temple courts. This old elderly man, maybe he's got, you know, maybe he's slumped over in his age, and maybe he's got a long, scraggly beard, and maybe his eyesight is failing, and his wrinkled, Crooked hands are holding the smooth skin of that little baby. And are people in the complex looking like, what is this old codger doing taking this baby, this little baby from these parents who have come up to dedicate him to the Lord? This strange old man has inexplicably ripped this young boy from the arms of his mother and now he's holding them there in the temple in Jerusalem. Can you see it? Can you see the looks on people's faces as they try to understand what is going on? They don't realize it. Mary and Joseph do, though. And so does Simeon. They know that he in his arms is holding the Christ. The Christ. The Messiah in Hebrew. 
which means the anointed one. That would be the translation into English. The Christ. You know, this word Christ or anointed one was used in various ways in the Old Testament. It was used of the priests who were anointed with holy oil. It was especially used of the high priest in places like Leviticus chapter 4, verses 3, 5, and 16. That same, that same term used for the priests under the old law. It was also used for the prophets in the Old Testament. Those who were called the anointed of God. Same term, Psalm 105, 15. And it was used of the kings of Israel who were sometimes called the anointed of the Lord. Priests, prophets, and kings. This same term, Christ, that appears here was used of many different people in the Old Testament. But the Jews in the first century, though the term was used generally in many ways, they were thinking about it in a very specific way. They knew that there was one coming who would be called the Lord's Christ. And we see evidence of this in the New Testament. For instance, that Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospel of John says, I know that the Christ is coming, the Messiah. And so they were expecting not a host of figures, but one who would be the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the long-awaited Savior of the world, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, and now... At the Jerusalem temple, this old man who's been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the face of the Christ child has him in his arms. Simeon holding baby Jesus, lifting him up. And listen to what he says in verse 29, Luke chapter 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light. For revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory. To your people Israel. This prayer. That this old man. Prays to God. As he holds the fulfillment of all his longings. In his old wrinkled hand. What do you hear in this prayer? What I hear is a man who is grateful to have lived long enough to see this. A man who is grateful to have lived long enough for his hopes and dreams to be satisfied by the Lord. Katherine Johnson, maybe you've heard this name, many years ago was handpicked to be one of three black students to integrate West Virginia's graduate schools. And to most people, that would be one of the most notable events of their life, but not for Katherine Johnson. This isn't even close to being the most remarkable event in her life. You see, Katherine Johnson was one of a very few women of color who worked for NASA in the 1950s and 60s. And she did vital work, like the trajectory analysis for Alan Shepard's May 1961 mission, Freedom 7, which was America's first human spaceflight. She did work in mathematics behind the scenes to make that flight possible. And in 1962, 
she was charged with being a human computer, for lack of a better term, for John Glenn's Friendship 7 mission. You see, at this time, they had computers, NASA did, in order to calculate all of the numbers that it took to send that spaceship up into the sky and to bring it back down. But the astronauts in the early 60s, they were very apprehensive about trusting those computers. They wanted a person to to crunch the numbers for them so as to give them better confidence. And John Glenn said, I want the girl to do it, speaking of Miss Catherine Johnson. And he said, if she says they're good, then I'm ready to go. That was the kind of faith that John Glenn had in this lady, Catherine Johnson. And so she had to run all these numbers for his space flight through equations, and she did so by hand. And this was a turning point. Uh, John Glenn's mission was very successful, and it was a turning point in the great space race between the United States of America and the Soviets. Now, after the Catherine Johnson continued in her career with NASA until the 1980s, but for the most part, her work was neglected by most of the American public. It went forgotten until, in 2015, she received what is the highest honor for, for any civilian in this country, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And her life is depicted in a 2016 movie that some of you may have seen, called Hidden Figures. Miss Johnson is 99 years old, and she was able to live long enough to see her contributions to history receive the credit that they deserve. What a gift for Miss Johnson to be spared long enough to see all of the contributions get the credit that they deserve. What a gift. And God allows Simeon this man to live long enough to lay his eyes upon the Christ, the one for whom he had longed. And in this prayer, as he directs his eyes to the heavens, we also hear about the salvation this boy would bring. Simeon becomes a prophet here. This salvation, did you hear this in the text? Did you catch this? It would impact not only Jews, This is not just about the redemption of Jerusalem. This is not just about the consolation of Israel. This is a salvation that would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the Greeks, to us, to those who are not Jews. Simeon, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to peer into the future and see the kind of salvation that this boy, the Christ, the Son of the living God would bring, it would be a salvation that would impact everyone in the whole wide world. That no matter who you are, regardless of your background, regardless of what type of people group you come from, you can receive salvation from God through Christ. The salvation that God has in mind is much more expansive than many of the Jews of this era thought. Simeon can see that. Salvation is going to be a blessing, not not just to the Jews who so longed for it, but to the Gentiles who hadn't even dreamed it was a possibility yet. Through this boy, all of this made possible. Simeon foretells a salvation for all, 
And it is no wonder in that scene, verse 33, we're told, his mother and his father marveled. They marveled at what was said about him. Now listen, think about all the things that Joseph and Mary have already heard about their boy. Think about the angels who appeared to them and told them what kind of child this was going to be. And yet Simeon's words still have the power to make them marvel, to cause them to be amazed at what was true of their son. God reveals through the Holy Spirit to Simeon why he's alive. Simeon doesn't have to wonder what his purpose in life is. He doesn't have to wonder why on earth did God put me on this earth? What am I doing alive? He knows. God says, I'm keeping you alive so that you can see the Christ with your very own eyes. Have you ever wondered why you're alive? Ever wondered what you're doing here? Ever wondered why God allowed you to be born? Have you ever wished maybe you'd never been born? Like George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life, I wish I had never been born. The world would be better without me. I don't know, maybe you haven't gotten that far with it, but maybe you've started heading in that direction where you've begun to doubt your purpose or your reason for existence. And you wonder what it is that you're doing here. In 1936, my grandmother, along with her three young siblings, were riding along in the back seat of a Ford Model T. And my great-grandfather was driving, and my great-grandmother was in the passenger seat, and they were on Highway 70, which is up in North Tennessee between Crossville and Monterey. And this stretch of road in the early 1930s had recently been paved, but the shoulders had not, and they sat about six inches lower than the rest of the road. While ripping down the road, going no faster than 45 miles per hour, that was the top speed that these Model Ts could reach, my great-grandfather accidentally veered onto the low shoulder, six inches downward off the road, He tried to regain control of the vehicle, but he could not, and the car began to roll. And the whole family was ejected through the cloth roof, strewn along the opposite shoulder of Highway 70. Now, my great-grandfather was severely injured in this wreck. He had a broken neck, which required six months in a cast. And this is kind of a grisly injury, along with a severed ear from the wreck that was later reattached my great-grandmother she suffered a broken collarbone but amazingly all the children including my grandmother walked away with only scrapes and bruises now i don't have to tell you this but had my but i like to work this out in my head so that i can be reminded of how amazing it is to even be alive Had my grandmother perished, she would never have grown up to marry my grandfather. They would never have had my father, who would never have grown up to marry my mother, and they would never have had me. If the wreck had played out differently, if she had perished along the side of Highway 70 in 1936, if it had ended up more tragically, then I wouldn't be here. Have you ever thought about all of the situations and events throughout the course of history that have allowed you to be here, breathing, 
heart beating, alive, eyes open, witnessing the world. What an extraordinary miracle that any of us are in this room right now. Any of us are alive. What an extraordinary miracle that I'm here. That you're here. And why is it that we're here? Why are you here? What are any of us doing here? Well, I know why we're here. I know why you're here. And it's not some knowledge that you know I have, especially that, that I have gained through study or research. This is knowledge that has been revealed to me and to all of us by the Word of God. You are here. I am here. We're all here in order to make the good confession that Jesus is the Christ. God allowed Simeon to stay alive to see the Christ child. God has you here on this earth to experience a relationship with that Christ. With Jesus, the Son of the living God. That's your purpose. To say that I believe that that young child that was held by that elderly man in the temple complex that day is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. It's to make that good confession like Peter did. You remember later in the Gospels when Jesus says, what are they saying that I am? What are people saying out on the street about me? And they said, well, some people say you're Elijah. And other people say that you're one of the other prophets. And some other people say that you're John the Baptist. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. What do you think? What do you say? And it was the Apostle Peter who said, I believe that you are the what? The Christ. The Son of the living God. A confession on which Jesus builds His church the good confession, as it's called in 2 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, that's why you're here. To name Jesus as the Christ, as your Lord. You're here to experience the salvation that comes through Christ. You're here to experience the greatest gift of all. What a gift it was for Simeon to see the Christ. What a gift it is, the greatest gift that any of us will ever receive is the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. It is why you were made. It is why you exist. It is why you are alive, why God has spared your life so that you can share a relationship with His Son and so that you can be the recipient of all the bountiful blessings that come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Spirit, salvation, hope, love, peace, all of it is yours. Through Christ. That's why you're here. That's your purpose. God has created you. He's spared you for this. He desires for all people, including you, to come to the knowledge of the truth. You're here for this purpose. Don't, don't refuse to live out your God-given purpose. Don't spurn the gift of free salvation through Jesus Christ. Don't say to God by rejecting Jesus that you don't appreciate the miracle that it is to be alive. God has you here for this reason. And to stop short and to not say yes to Jesus Christ is saying to God, I don't want, I don't want to fulfill my, your purpose for me. 
I don't want to truly live into my fullest potential as a child of yours. And you say no to Jesus. That's what you say. That you don't really appreciate the miracle of life. And that you don't want to live according to your God-given purpose. Simeon received a great gift by being able to see the Christ you have an opportunity to embrace the greatest gift there is by confessing Jesus Christ, by having your sins washed away in baptism, by being unified with Him and receiving salvation from God that will stretch into eternity. Christ. That word means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It's a word of hope for a lot of people the world over. But it's a word that has also provoked hatred and wars. Make no mistake, there are enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ beyond the borders of this country and within. Christ. Sadly, it's also a word that is used flippantly. And it's used as an expletive. And people take that word, the word of our Lord and Savior in vain. Christ. What does that word mean to you? I hope to you it means that God has given you a great gift. I hope to you it means salvation. But if it doesn't mean that to you, and it doesn't mean that to you if you've never come and confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and it doesn't mean salvation to you if you've never been buried in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. I hope today you will make the decision that Christ to you means salvation. And if you're not living into your fullest potential, if you're not devoted to Jesus Christ, I hope that today you'll use this song as a time to come and say, look, you know what? I'm in church and I came to worship today, but my life as a whole is not as devoted to my Lord as it ought to be. And you have an opportunity to come and to say, I need to make things right with my relationship with God. We want to invite you to do that. If you need prayers for any reason, especially if you need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ today in baptism, we want you to do that right now as we stand and sing.